Our scripture reading for today comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and then dropping down to verses 6 through 9. Let us listen to God's word to us. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command you, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which I am charging you. You must observe them diligently. For this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today? But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Our passage for this morning is part of a rather lengthy covenant that God establishes between himself and his people. You can picture this a lot like a courtroom, because the format for the book of Deuteronomy is actually an ancient contract. So when you're wading through the book of Deuteronomy on your own time, you might look to call a lawyer if you need some help in understanding it. The text that we read for this morning precedes the Ten Commandments. While they're called the Ten Commandments, and the little heading over them in our Bibles always says the Ten Commandments, Moses actually calls them words or statutes, the Ten Statutes. They're statutes because they are limits that are placed upon the behavior of God's people. A statute might say something like, the park is open until 9 p.m. The statutes that God gives to Israel are things like, have no other gods before you. It's not so much a do and don't list, like don't steal the cookies, but rather it's saying, this is the boundary that you have on your behavior. The rules that God gives to Israel are to control the chaos. Imagine with me if the sun just suddenly rose randomly, or if gravity worked randomly, and vegetables sometimes were healthy and sometimes were poisonous. There are rules, physical rules, that we live with every day. God created rules. They order the chaos. God's rules, these boundaries in our lives, are to help us flourish. And I dare say, they might even be to help us have fun. Which is why games, which are intended for fun, have rules. What's the first thing you do when you sit down to play Monopoly? You lay out the rules, right? Because everybody has their own version of how they play Monopoly. How much money goes into free parking? What if you don't pass go but just land on it? Do you still collect the $200? When can you make trades? 
If you don't lay out some of the shared rules in the beginning, two hours into the game, you'll end up in a fist fight. At least I would, because I am that competitive. You might find in the middle of the game that so-and-so is trying to do an illegal trade, someone is putting $2,000 into free parking, someone's been sitting in jail for six turns just raking in the cash, and someone just nationalized the railroad. Without rules, without the right rules, Monopoly isn't fun anymore. It's like playing checkers with a four-year-old. Have you done this? When they start losing, they start cheating, right? All of a sudden, their pieces can fly across the board, or they move backwards all of a sudden in this game of checkers. It's no longer a game of checkers. That four-year-old might be cute as a button, but they're not playing checkers. You want to play checkers, you have to follow the rules. God establishes rules for life, gives us rules that help us flourish. Some are rules of the universe, like gravity and E equals MC squared, which somebody would have to explain that one to me again. And other rules are specifically for us, like have no other gods before me. Without rules, we are left with four-year-olds playing checkers. Total chaos. God speaks things into being, and God establishes a statute for them, a boundary around them, a way to order the chaos, which is what God is doing here, too, in Deuteronomy, giving rules to the Israelites to govern them as a way to order the chaos. In our text from Deuteronomy, Moses is relaying these statutes to the Israelites. At this point in the story, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They are finally at the point where they are about to enter the promised land. The anticipation of entering the promised land is about to be realized. And before they can even step a foot in the door, Moses gives them a rule book, a code of conduct, some boundaries. Deuteronomy as a book is about the covenant relationship between God and God's people. If we don't have that lens on this scripture text, we will never hear it correctly. To listen to this text in Deuteronomy, we must remember that it is written in the framework of a covenant. What does that mean? That means that the boundaries, the statutes that God creates and gives to the Israelites come out of a place of love and care. That means that God's rules are about flourishing. God's statutes are about giving life to God's people. Moses is giving the Israelites statutes that they are to follow once they enter the promised land, statutes to create life instead of chaos, because we serve a God who from the very beginning has been ordering the chaos. Our text in Deuteronomy tells us that the people surrounding the Israelites will know the Israelites by the statutes that they follow. The Israelites will be known as wise because they follow God's commands. They will be known as those people who follow God's rules. We are known by the statutes that we follow. If you think about it, even countries are known this way. 
I remember living with my parents and numerous times we would host different Latin American people from all over South and Central America. One of the main things that impressed these people from Latin America were our ordered highway systems, right? Cars stay in their lanes. Even here in the United States, cars really do stay in their lanes. Cars merge when they get onto the highway. They stop at a red light, and cars do not drive on the sidewalks. Those are for people, not for cars. This ordered highway system makes quite an impression on our Latin American brothers and sisters. They are baffled, completely baffled, that people follow the rules. They are baffled at how organized our highway systems are. Because the chances are that in their home countries, they just drive down wherever they want, and they honk, and they push, and they shove, and on the sidewalks they go to get around that stoplight, each car abiding by its own set of rules. The United States is known by its ordered highways. We are known by the rules that we follow. Families are known this way too, known by their statutes. Some families are known for not owning TVs so their kids don't get hooked to the screen at a young age. Some families are known for healthy eating. You know if you go over there, you're not going to have fried chicken or fast food. It's going to be salad all the way. Some families are known for strict curfews and bedtimes. Families are marked by the statutes that they have. My own family was marked by its own set of statutes. Growing up, my sister was often bringing someone over for dinner. She was the social light of the family, and there were always people at the house to eat dinner. But she invited them over to dinner, usually because they asked if they could come to the Thomas house for dinner. So sure enough, some friend would walk through the door up the stairs into the kitchen and the dining room, and as soon as they got to that kitchen, they would be put to work. Hey, it's so good to see you. Do you mind setting the table? Why don't you grab those rolls and throw them in the oven? And by the way, don't make, just make sure they don't burn. Each of my siblings had a task. Set the table, stir the green beans, cut up the salad, and so on. Once dinner was ready, we'd sit down to eat at the dining room table. My mom was always really good about us eating on just an ordinary Tuesday night at the dining room table. So my father would call on someone to pray, and we'd eat. We ate. We passed the food. We ate seconds. We enjoyed each other's company, and we sat there for a while and talked. At some point, my mother would skillfully begin cleaning the plates off the table, and she would walk out seamlessly with a cup of coffee prepared just how everybody liked it. My black cup of coffee, my dad's with cream and sugar, my brother's with just sugar, and so on. The rules at the house were simple. As often as possible, we would sit down and eat family dinner, period. Consistent family dinners. The rules continued. No cell phone at the dinner table. No TV. Everyone pitched in to help with dinner. Pray before you eat and ask to be excused. The rules were simple. But these friends of my sisters, they loved coming to our house for dinner. Not because of the grand food, not because we sat at the dining room table, but because we had rules. We expected when they walked in the door that they would help us put dinner on the table and that they would ask to be excused. 
Chances are that in their own homes, everyone sat in front of the TV and didn't talk, or everyone came in and out of the house and grabbed food when they could, or they just wandered in, grabbed food, and scampered to eat on their own. We had rules in our house regarding family dinner, and the rules protected the fun. Families are known by the statutes they live by. My family was known for those family dinners. Our church family is also known by the statutes that we live by. This is why we have jokes about the Baptists and the Methodists and the Episcopalians, and if you listen carefully, why they have jokes about us. Because we're all known by the rules that we follow. We have basic rules here, most of them implicit. Generally speaking, you're not supposed to run up and down the aisles during the service. Generally speaking, the pastor shouldn't preach anywhere over 20 minutes. No one should sit in the front pew. (laughs) You're right, that's not really a statute, but we seem to abide by it anyway. There have to be rules for us to operate as a church family, implicit ones and explicit ones. Moses knew this about the Israelites. So he tells them, observe the commandments of the Lord. He tells them, remember the statutes the Lord has given you. And he lays out these Ten Commandments so they can live in community together. As God's people, we live by God's statutes. It's what makes us recognizable as God's people. Israel was once held captive in Egypt. They were slaves of the Pharaoh, and he wanted to use them to build his temples and his palaces and harvest the crops, and he treated them very poorly. It was God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. God brought them through with all of these sweeping miracles, the most striking of which was the final one, where an angel of death struck all of Egypt, killing every firstborn male. But it passed over the Israelites. They painted over their doors with the lamb's blood, and the angel would pass over. It was only then that Pharaoh let them go. So God told them, celebrate. Celebrate once a year. Celebrate this day, this Passover. Eat unleavened bread so you remember how you had to leave quickly. And tell the story of what I have done for you. God gave them a rule with which to celebrate their freedom from Egypt. And God said, tell it to your children and your children's children so they know the depth of my love and the power of my hand. By this statute, by this celebration of the Passover, the Israelites were known as God's people. It was their family dinner. It let everyone know who they were. They kept the Passover and all of the rules attached to it because they were Jews the ones God saved from Egypt. As Christians, we worship here on Sunday mornings. Sunday morning because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a sacred day. We remember it as a holy day. It's a tradition that's a part of our testimony. We set the day aside in remembrance of what God has done. And as we gather in this church, we are known. We are known as God's people. For many people, they just look at us and think it's another rule. You have to worship every Sunday. But for us, 
This is our family dinner. When we gather, it's a part of what makes us recognizable as God's people. The ones who have been saved from their sins by Jesus, it's a testimony that we believe that Christ is indeed risen. We follow God's commands. Why? To testify to who God is. Living in God's statutes is a part of our testimony. It is how we are recognized. It is, according to Deuteronomy, what we tell our children and our children's children. We follow God's statutes, and in doing so, we testify to our families and our neighbors and our friends that we serve a God whose laws are just. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells a parable. In it, a king throws a wedding banquet for his son. So the invitations go out for this wedding banquet that's about to happen, and no one shows up. None of the friends come to the wedding banquet. So the king decides to go out into the street and to round up anybody in the street who wants to come party at this wedding banquet. So servants go out, they grab anybody that they can to come and celebrate. The banquet now in full force, a room full of strangers from off the street. When the king realizes that there's a man in the banquet who is not dressed in a wedding robe. The king has the man thrown out of the banquet. The parable seems a little harsh, even confusing. But if we think about this parable as a story of not following the statutes, it might make more sense to us. The man got thrown out because he wasn't wearing the appropriate clothing for the wedding banquet. Even if you're invited to a stranger's wedding, you wear the right clothes. There's a rule about that. If you don't want to dress up, then perhaps you don't really understand what a wedding is. The rules around a wedding are because of how important it is, how sacred it is, how beautiful and profound it is, the joining of two lives. This man who was not wearing a wedding robe was not following the statutes. Certain expectations had been laid out, and he didn't follow them. His clothes revealed that he didn't understand what all was going on, so he was asked to leave. To be recognized as God's people, we better follow God's rules, and we better tell them to our children and our children's children so they know the rules, too. When we don't, we can reveal that we don't really understand what's going on. Have any of you ever played the game Life? Is it strange to you that the game of life has rules? You might know the game. You start off in this game deciding if you want to go to college. If you do, you have debt from the very beginning. But it opens up a whole bunch of job opportunities. So you have to pay certain amounts for having kids as you go about this game of life. Some of the game, sure, is a game of the dice, it's a bit of luck, but part of the game is making decisions. The decisions affect your path, affect the money you make, affect the careers that you can have, affect the kind of houses that you can buy. I think the makers of the game got it right. We may not like God's rules for life, but there is no such thing as life without rules. 
If we decide to ditch God's rules, we can live by society's rules or by the culture's rule. Or maybe we just try to ditch those too. Then what rules do we live by? No rules? Our own rules? Not quite. Without all those rules, all those rules created to keep people safe, to help people flourish, even to help people have fun, we end up following the rules of nature. Survival of the fittest, might is right. Without these rules, we get chaos. God gave Israel rules. They were rules for life, rules for fun, rules to protect them against the chaos of the world. At their family dinner, they would recite them and remember how God had saved them. Moses told them, tell them, tell them to your children and your children's children. They would keep the rules and people would call them strange and different. But over time, people came to know the Israelites as wise. People saw them and knew they were the Israelites who were saved out of Egypt by their God. Here at our family dinner, we follow Jesus Christ. We stay within the boundaries that he has established. We don't always understand the rules, and we certainly don't always want to follow them. But when we do, we find that the boundaries Christ has established for his church bring life, and they bring it abundantly. So we can take these rules and share them with our children and children's children, with friends and with strangers. Here at our family dinner, the rules are simple. We shall serve no other gods, only our Father in heaven. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal or lie or covet. And share. Share with your children and your children's children all that God has done. Life may not be a game with little cars and plastic people, but you can certainly lose if you don't have the right rules. Why settle for chaos when living under God's rules brings the life and fun of family dinners and wedding banquets? Let us pray. Holy God, we know that you give us rules for our flourishing. And we know that sometimes it is really hard to follow those rules. May we learn how to live in community together, following the rules that bring life. Remembering to turn to your word and to your statutes and to your boundaries. To understand what it is you're teaching us. And then to teach our families and our friends about the things that you want us to do. Let us share with everybody as a part of our testimony who you are, what you stand for, and the commands that you have given us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.